All right, trade tracker. Let's see. Calgary Flames traded Brent Ritchie and Connor Mackey for Nick Ritchie and Troy Stecker. They just traded Ritchie's. Minnesota got John Klingberg from Anaheim. Patrick Brown. Calgary got Dryden Hunt from the Leafs for Radim Zahorna. Bunch of nobodies. Now, some of these California teams really selling, except for LA, of course, but San Jose <clears> and Anaheim. <throat> just selling everybody, eh? Restarts. And even at some point, the uh, you know, the bolts are gonna have to do that. The you know the yeah. the the Blackhawks are going through that. Maybe the Penguins at some point soon might have to do that, right? That's cyclical. I think that's sort of become the reality now, right? Curtis Lazar from Vancouver to New Jersey. Nick Bonino to Pittsburgh from San Jose. Bonino, Bonino, Bonino. Bonino, yeah. So Max Stomi to Dallas and Dylan Wells. I think that was ready yesterday. Anton Kudobin. I like that Bukestad trade. He's a big guy. He's going to be good. And, you know, he's he's like Costin. He's got some skill. And yeah. he's going to be on a team with, like, fast skaters, good passers. I think he could sure, do well. Sure. And, I mean, even if he doesn't, just having that big guy in the ice so that that yeah. Eugene Hopkins doesn't have to take all the fights. Hi, you're listening to the Just Some Musings podcast with Justin Lee and Marcus Muse. We're two advisors with CG Wealth Management in Alberta who finish our weeks connecting over Zoom to discuss the week that was. So what's on the agenda this week, Justin? Well, seeing as it's the first week of March, uh, we just finished up what we uh, people in the industry might call as registered or RRSP season. Uh, the deadline has now been passed. So I think we'd like to talk a little bit about uh, best practices uh, and some things in, in particular, taking a step back and, and, and talking about RRSPs as a whole. Uh, additionally, something else that happened this past week was that in the province of Alberta, uh, the provincial budget came out. And so there's a few particular points that I'd like to speak about in regards to spending uh, in terms of where that money came from and uh, implications for the future. Cool. So uh, any charts or links that we refer to, as well as an archive of past podcasts and uh, ways that you can subscribe on various different podcast players can be found on my website, muhs.ca slash podcast. Please enjoy our largely unedited and unfiltered discussion for the week. So it's uh, a few days into March as of today, as of this recording. And uh, this past week, we've been, at least uh, you and I, Marcus, been dealing a lot with uh, registered plans, in particular with RRSPs. So I wanted to uh, get your thoughts as to how your, uh, I hate to use the term, but RRSP season. How did your RRSP season turn out? (laughs) Yeah, you know how I feel about RRSP season. RRSP season's all year round. Make your contributions monthly, 15th of each month. Don't make us get all uh you know all panicked uh making sure your rsp gets in on time before march 1st you know the problem too is you know especially a company like ours we're not a huge bank the banks have a lot of people in their back offices and they can always divert people to to the rsp department when it's that busy time of year but for us you know uh we can we can get pretty backed up at this time of year and uh you know the good people in our back office they do what they can they were very efficient this year uh, you know, at worst, I had a few clients' RSP contributions processed uh, a day late, but of course they get backdated. And that's that's actually something uh, that's, you know, a little bit confusing or surprising to people I know. Um, the backdating of RSP contributions, 
and, I, and I've tried to sort of uh, share this with my clients so that they don't get so flustered when it comes to getting their money in, uh, you know, before that deadline, lining up at the bank or, you know, panicked calling me. Um, when it comes to the RSP contribution deadline, what really matters as far as the CRA is concerned is that the intent was made to put the money in the RSP. The intent can be even simply sticking the letter in the mail that day. So if you send a check to your RSP provider um, and that goes into the mail on March 1st before the deadline and there's a stamp on it proving it was March 1st, so maybe bring it to the post office, I don't know how they do that, um, mm -hmm. then it counts as a contribution before the deadline even though it's not received until a week later. Um, I have a lot of clients who send me money via the bill payment feature at their bank, which usually takes one or two business days till it, till it arrives on our end. And then again, as long as the client sends a screenshot that they've made the contribution, they've made the payment on or before the deadline, even if I get it on March 2nd or March 3rd, uh, with that screenshot, I still can get our back office to backdate it. Now, what absolutely because can't be the done. Evidence. Yeah. yeah. What can't be done is, you know, come to me on March 3rd and say, I forgot about the deadline, and uh, can, you, can you backdate this for me? Uh, no, absolutely not, and no bank will do that. No bank should do that. Uh, it is mm -hmm. a huge taboo. The CRA will, will go nuts if, if people do that. But yeah, but anyways, uh, I was this year a uh, one of those people doing a contribution last minute. I always tell my clients try not to do that, but then I myself was guilty of it. I, was do I really <laughs> was was, uh, was kind of looking at my taxes the night before, the night of February 28th, uh, kind of looking at my numbers, thinking, man, I really should put a bit more in. Um, and so I did that contribution on, on the deadline day. But, uh, but yeah, like I said, the best thing you can really do for yourself, and everyone's cash flow is different, but if it works for you, do a regular contribution, split up that amount that you usually put in each year by 12, put it in every month, um, if you've got some variable pay or you kind of get a certain bonus uh, at year end where you put some of that into your RSP, then at least do a minimal amount, a, sort of a, an amount that you know is going to go into your RSP every every month, you know, based on what your financial plan re recommends you do. Uh, do that as monthly. And then at least even if worst comes to worst, you completely forget to do that top up, you at least have some money in your RSP. I, I think that uh, you're right. And if, if you treat it, if, if, you know, for some, if you can treat it as sort of a monthly expense, an expense to your future. And uh, just in as much as you may budget or you have your monthly uh, expenses for your cell phone or for your internet or your, for your favorite streaming service, as we talked about uh, in our last episode, is that if you automate it and you have that authorized, pre-authorized uh, uh, contribution set up and, and you are mentally budgeting to even put in say $100 a month or whatever number, $25 a month, uh, then you've already built upon, you, you're building a habit. You're, you're, you're building something that is automated. And, and then should it come to uh, January or February and you realize that, oh, you know what? I do have a little bit of money uh, left over. I can mm -hmm. do an additional top-up contribution on top of my regular payments. I think that's a, a, a very fair way to go. I think it um, we just treat it as more of as an expense as opposed to a, a one-time uh, got to do it in February uh, sort of treatment, then uh, um, everybody as a whole wouldn't be, uh, I don't want to use the word scrambling, but yeah, you wouldn't be um, searching around, trying to figure out balancing, trying to do your taxes last minute, trying to do all that, uh, trying to figure out how much you might want to contribute. So, um, but I do appreciate the fact that uh, a, a number of my clients, for example, you know, I mean, it's been expensive, right? Life has been expensive over the last while. And, and will continue to being so. 
And, and so where we may have been stretched on a month-to-month cash flow basis, uh, sometimes I know a number of co- uh, companies or, or employers, uh, if you are in a, in a situation where you may receive an annual bonus or an annual incentive, then they will often, those employers will often pay that out uh, in the last week uh, of February in anticipation of using that for, say, uh, a contribution. So oftentimes because of that structural setup, uh, clients will have a lump sum come in kind of off regular payroll schedule and then they take that funds, they take those funds and then uh, contribute that. So I guess depending on on, on your situation, uh, I, I've seen both uh, work uh, without uh, too much uh, uh, difficulty, but the automation thing is, is a really powerful way of just doing it. And, and it mm-hmm. uses that, that phrase that we've all, all heard before, pay yourself first, right? Yep. And you just, you know, sock it away uh, a, a little bit every single month, then uh, it's, it's built in, right? You're not having to make that decision uh, once a year. Um, for myself, for my own family, uh, admittedly, actually, I did not do an RSP contribution uh, this year uh, for myself. And I don't have any other RSP contribution plans to be involved in, unlike, say, if I was working previously, you know, at my previous employer or have a work sponsored uh, plan or, or even, you know, uh, have a, a pension, a fully like a DB pension where you're going to have a pension adjustment uh, on your on your uh, on your T4 slip. But I did not do uh, one this year and I don't believe I actually did one last year either for myself. And, and it's because, at least in my family, in my situation, I have two young children under uh, under the age of 10. And my uh, my wife is currently not working right now. And so for flexibility, what we've decided to do is that we've decided to prioritize our TFSA first mm-hmm. and, and maximize that contribution. Because that, you know, that's not insignificant. We're talking about $6,500 a, a, a year, right? Yep. And so that adds up. Uh, and amongst two people, that's $13,000. And then we have two children. So to maximize the grants from the government for the, uh, the education savings grant, that's $2,500 each for them. So that's another $5,000. So now I'm already in. If I were to maximize just those first two plans, then I'm, I'm over $10,000 right already, yep. right? And, and that's a substantial amount. And so that's how my family's done it. Um, and at some point in the future, um, I'll probably look to uh, catch up on my RSP contributions. But again, every, every family, every individual is a little bit different. But um, I did not... Uh, uh, run around uh, or uh, try to do a last minute contribution like you did. And, and mainly because of the fact that I didn't have any money uh, I felt to, to put into it because I put them into the other plans. So, um, but yes, I had automated some of those, uh, those plans kind of like with the RSP, you can always automate a TFSA and you can always automate an RESP uh, plan mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I myself have them automated too, but again, myself, I'm in that, uh, I use that strategy of I do a certain amount every month regularly. And then when I get my T4, which was, it just happened to be February 28th, uh, then I kind of look at, should I do a little bit more, do a top up? Maybe I'm, I'm just going to back up a little bit and go back to some RSP basics because we kind of assume mm-hmm. that the listener knows all the ins and outs. Um, you know, I, I'm sure even a lot of people do contribute to their RSPs regularly, but don't even know all the ins and outs. I mean, a lot, of people, still, a lot of people still say, I'm going to the bank to buy RSPs. Uh, which mm-hmm. is one of those just the terminology one yeah, of those yeah. terminologies that kind of uh, sometimes has us uh, advisors a little bit uh, uh, I don't know not annoyed but just it, it's kind of an old school terminology because it used to be kind of you went to your bank to buy a GIC which was in an RSP and the bank used to always market those as RSP GICs or kind of like quote unquote buy RSPs and that's kind of how that how that kind of came about 
But to really think of an RSP properly, an RSP is a bucket. You contribute money into it, and then you decide how to invest that money, whether it be GICs, cash, mutual fund stocks, etc. Uh, so you don't, it's not an investment by itself. You don't buy them. You contribute to them. Now, um, one thing we're talking about here is last-minute RSP contributions, and it's March, uh, right now it's March 3rd, but we're talking about contributions up to March 1st. So with an RSP, the very basics are whatever you put into the RSP is deducted from your income. I think a lot of people know that. Uh, mm -hmm. You can put, put money in during the tax year 2022. That's deducted from your 2022 income. And now we're talking about last minute contributions for the 2022 tax year. Uh, so what the CRA allows us to do, they give us 60 days within 2023, the first 60 days in which to do those top ups. So to give people a chance to look at their whole situation, figure out their taxes, how much should they put in, uh, we get those 60 days. And that's what leads to the RSP contribution deadline, which is that 60th day, whether that is March 1st on regular years or February 29th on leap years. If it's a Sunday it's, or Saturday, it's the, the day following. And that is that final, final deadline. This is not, you're not supposed to do RSP contributions only exclusively in this period of time. It's just, this is your final, final deadline. We're giving you 60 days extra, get it done, you know, for last year. Now, what confuses people too is you get RSP contribution receipts. There's two types of contribution receipts you get. One that says remainder of the year. So if you made a contribution from March 2nd until December 31st of 2022, they all got consolidated usually onto one receipt that says remainder of year 2022. If you made a contribution in January or February up until March 1st, you got a receipt that says first 60 days of 2023. Uh, that is of course a receipt that should be filed for the 2022 tax year, even though it says 2023 on it. And that confuses sometimes people. Sometimes people forget to file that one or they don't because it has 2023 on it, but that is that contribution that uh, is meant to be applied against your 2022 income. Uh, sometimes if you have those monthly contributions going into your plan, you get your you get 10, 10 months worth of contributions on one slip and then you get a January slip and a February slip. The reason you're getting these individual slips is because the assumption is when people make contributions in January, February, they wanna get that slip sooner so they're not gonna wait till, uh, you know, till March to send it to you. Mm -hmm. So that too, if you got a monthly contribution, and you're, you're, you're waiting for your tax slips to come, remember you're gonna get one for that remainder of the year, one for January, one for February, usually. And the, yeah, in the calendar side, um, I think the importance of, of recognizing that, yes, it's not a January to December. And, and even for example, let's say you were to do a contribution uh, in, in this past <clears throat> February, or even on March 1st, for example, right? Um, do you wanna speak a little bit about how what year you can claim it? You don't have to necessarily claim it, uh, yeah. in the in the tax year. So that that's another thing that that people don't really understand too is there's two there's two actions that happen. One is you're you're claiming it on your taxes, two you're deducting it. So when you get that tax slip for 20 that first 60 days of 2023 for example, you do file it. So not claim it necessarily, but file it with your 2022 taxes. But you can then decide whether or not to deduct it. Uh, and that same goes for any other contributions you made in the past year. Let's say you had a lot of carry forward RSP room and you just came across a bunch of money and made a big contribution in 2022, but your income is at a level where it doesn't really make sense to deduct all that money because it will deduct you down. Basically, it will bring your income down to a certain level where it's not really worth it as much. Uh, you deduct part of it. So let me, let me give you an example because I know that makes very little sense. 
And it took me years <laughs> to figure it took me years to figure this stuff out too when I was at the bank. So let's say you go into 2022 and you have $20,000 worth of, let's say $30,000 worth of RSP contribution space. Now, going back to the reason why you'd want to put money into an RSP and deduct from your income, we have these progressive tax rates. You, you have a, when, you, when your income spills into the next bucket, basically, of income, uh, that bucket is taxed at a slightly higher rate than the previous. So a good example, and I'm going to use very average, or sorry, very um, averaged out tax rates, I'm not going with the exact numbers on the CRA website, but let's say you're taxed a certain rate. Let's, let's use Alberta rates. You're taxed roughly on the first $50,000 you make in Alberta. You're taxed a combined uh, federal plus provincial of 25% on most of it. Some of it's not taxed because there's a certain amount that is uh, that is at 0%. Your personal, personal, your personal exemption. Yeah. Uh, but the bulk of it is taxed at 25%. Then the additional dollars from 50000 to roughly 100000 are taxed at 30.5%. And then over 100,000, you're taxed at the next bracket, uh, 36%. And then there's more brackets after that. Mm -hmm. But let's say your income is $110,000, and um, and you contribute. You had $30,000 of uh, contribution space from the previous year. That's calculated when you file your 2021 taxes, based on your 2021 income, 18% times that minus deductions like if you have pensions and things like that, but that's getting a bit complicated anyways. But um, you have a <laughs> you have a, a limit of 30,000 that's built up over a couple of years probably. Going into uh, 2022, your income was 110,000. You figure it makes sense to, to chop off that $10,000 that you're being taxed at 36% on, so that all your income then is only taxed at 30.5 or 25 or zero. So you contribute ten. You contribute thirty thousand. Let's say you came across that money. You contribute thirty thousand to your RSP, using up all your your carry forward room. Uh, and you file it when you file your twenty twenty two taxes. Now, when you when you're doing your taxes, you decide how much of that to deduct. You deduct ten thousand of that, allowing twenty thousand of that to flow to, to future years. And that, when you file your taxes, when you get your when you get your notice of assessment back. You're going to get a sort of a tabulation that shows you you deducted 10,000. It'll tell you how much you earned in new contribution space. And it will also say at the bottom that you have 20,000 of undeducted RSP contributions, again, which can go to the next year. So it makes it a little more complex than what most people do, but it does happen from time to time, especially if you use an accountant. The accountant will sometimes say, even if you did this much in contributions, they'll deduct slightly less. Now, what happens if you go over the limits? And this happens a lot too. And sometimes people get really flustered about it because they figure, oh my God, I'm over. There's going to be a huge penalty. And it usually ends up not being as bad as they think it is. And this, and I'll tell you one situation where this happens a lot. If you have a group savings plan through work, and let's see, you've yes. been con contributing to it many over many uh, years. Yes. And you have it set at something like, um, like what's a typical percent? Let's say you, you got a plan that's doing uh, like uh, seven and seven. 7% you put in, 7% your employer puts in, so a total of 14%. And when you started out at your job making 100,000, that you know they were putting in 14,000, 18% times 100,000 means you qualify for $18,000 of contribution space. So you called Justin or me, and you said, uh, put in $4,000, or take that 4,000, split it up over 12, do a monthly contribution of, four, of whatever that is. And everything's hunky-dory. 
your income goes up gradually, that uh, the allowance, your, your contribution limit goes up 18% times whatever. But then, you know, your, your income gets to a certain level and it's about 160,000. Once you get over 160 something thousand, you're no longer getting contribution space based on 18% of your income. Now you're hitting the statutory maximum. So there's a certain maximum, which basically to prevent someone, if they're making half a million dollars a year, to prevent them from putting uh, $90,000 into their RSP each, each year. So there's that stat limit. Currently for 2023, it's right around 30,000. It was 29,000 and change for last year. And change, yep. So let's say your income goes up to 200,000 at your job. You're still doing the seven and seven. So 14% times 200,000 is already $28,000. And you're still doing the 4,000 through Justin. Now you've gone over. You're, you've gone over by $2,000, right? Is my math right there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what often happens and you have to keep Keep tabs on these these numbers as you're doing it. I always say it's good to have a little bit of carry forward room just to sort of give you that cushion. But mm-hmm. you do have a cushion anyways, even if that happens. So if that exact scenario happened, there is a $2,000 over contribution cushion, which means not that you're allowed to put that in and deduct it and whatever. It just means if that over contribution is within that $2,000, you're not going to be penalized for it. It's obviously going to be subtracted from your next year limit. Um, yeah, and that's, that 2000 is not every year. It's, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime too. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, th- what happened is then when, when your next year contribution limits calculated, that's deducted from it. And then you're yeah. basically reset. Uh, if you yeah. were never to work again in your life, and sometimes people do this when they, uh, before they retire, um, their very last st- year yeah. in their last year, you can still use that $2,000 cushion for whatever little bit it's, it's worth. It's not, it's not extra money you can deduct, but it's a little bit extra you can put into your RSP. Good shelter. But, uh, yeah. If you went over that, that's when you get hit with one, you need to uh, withdraw that money to avoid future, future penalties. Um, and basically, uh, we withdraw from your RSP. You'll have to do some special forms for that. We'll get into the details there. But the penalty on it is 1% of the excess over that cushion. And, uh, and so here, here's a situation that sometimes comes up. People do that, that beginning of the year top up for 2023, and they, they realize, oh my God, I just went over by $10,000. Well, okay, now you got to think for 2023, you're going to get a new co- contribution limit calculated. Now you're, well, you, if you put that money in that overage, you put that in in January, February of this year, you're not going to be penalized for it because it's going to basically deduct versus your new contribution limit. Yes, it is an over contribution. You're going to file in your taxes for 2022, but then they're going to calculate this is your contribution limit. This is how much you went over. And there's some kind of wording at the bottom of the notice of assessment that says if number B is higher than A, then you might owe a penalty, blah, blah, blah. But that offsets. If you did that like a few months prior, or let's say you had monthly contributions going in, then you could be subject to a penalty. And then it's kind of based on the number of months that you were over. It's 1% per month that you were over the limit. Does that It's a lot of numbers. I, I, no, it clears mud. Absolutely. Clears <laughs> as, I, as I used to say in Fort McMurray. But uh, I, I think the, the under, understanding or the under overarching arch of the story is that there are opportunities for individuals uh, to potentially over contribute. Uh, but if that's the case, it's not punitive. There's ways to rectify it. Yep. It's not going to carry over into, into the future indefinitely. And also the fact that just there are opportunities to have a variety of different places where you can contribute. You can contribute individually to your own plan. 
you can contribute uh, through a work-sponsored savings plan or a register, you know, as you just alluded to. Uh, and then again, if you have something like a DB pension, uh, there's automatically going to be a pension adjustment because they're naturally contributing uh, into that uh, into that program as well. So. One thing that I found is that sometimes people will ask me, what's my contribution limit for the year? It's not just the 18% that you know you had talked about, Marcus. Mm -hmm. um, because of the potential for other plans to come up, what I generally will refer people to do is to look at their previous year's notice of assessment and use that as a guiding post to say, okay, what did that assessment tell you is the amount that the maximum amount that you could contribute. Uh, and then also, um, then also, if you don't have one, I would encourage uh, listeners to have uh, an account with the, uh, the CRA or Service Canada. And if mm -hmm. you log on to that website, then you can kind of see, I'm not going to say it's up to date day to day. It's not. But at least again, if you're missing that document from last year, or maybe you did some contributions, they happen to update it over the course of the year, there they are the CRA, you can go on digitally and take a look at those numbers. And you can also see the TFSA contribution amount there as well. Again, mm -hmm. caveat being that they don't always they don't often regularly update it. And especially with, you know, dynamic times of year such as January and February, you're going to be want to be careful, but at least it gives you a guidepost, uh, uh, a guideline to say how much could I potentially could contribute, taking into consideration potentially other plans that you are enrolled in. So, um, so yeah, I, it, it's not an easy, straightforward to say. Yeah, you can contribute up to twenty nine thousand dollars this year. No, it's because you're likely have contributed elsewhere. And it's probably lower than that. Go back to your tax forms. The CRA is going to go back to those tax forms anyways. Right, despite what you or I might say, or any other advisor or tax, or tax accountant will say, they will go with their numbers. So mm -hmm. um, take a look at those documentation, and then also, yeah, I would say suggest uh, sign up for uh, the CRA website. You can log on just as easily with your uh, uh, with your uh, bank IDs now too. Right, they they do make it convenient in that sense. Uh, but uh, go there uh, for for numbers. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Uh, it is way easier than you might think to log into the to the CRA website. If you have online banking with any major bank or credit union in Canada, you already have a login for it. Um, yeah. You just go to what is the site again? Uh, my accounts, CRA dot dot com or something like that. Go to the CRA website, you'll find it. And uh, yeah, log on with your bank password. And uh, they, I mean, they'll give you the basic information right off the bat. If you get into, if you really want to get into the weeds of your information. Then I think they still need to mail you a password to get the full access. But uh, contr RSP contribution limits, I, I went on there uh, late on February 28th. I logged on just to see what my carry forward room was. I have lots of room and actually that is because Justin, I was doing like what you were doing. I prioritized my TFSA in years past. Uh, until my income was at a level where I started to earn income in those higher marginal rates, that's when it made more sense. Now I prioritize the RSP. I have carry forward TFSA room that I haven't used yet but uh, the RSP contributions are more valuable at this point. And, and that's another point too, is like RSP, we talk RSP, RSP, and the banks are always marketing, do RSP contributions. They're not necessarily for everyone. And uh, there's no, a lot of people that no, benefit a lot more from TFSA contributions. I would say in general, they're an excellent choice. Barring all else, right? They are mm -hmm. still a very good vehicle for investment for the future. Right. Yep. Yes, it's primarily for retirement income. You can't take it out in two years time without punitive costs. Right. But the intention is for the longer term outlook. Um, but this is where you have that discussion and you understand, yes, in your situation, maybe you prioritize TFSAs first and then maybe move over to RSPs. 
And I want to stress one last thing, and this is something, when I started the bank, there were no TFSAs yet, and RSPs were really, like then RSP season was really gung-ho. Uh, Wait till the home buyer's plan starts kicking oh, in, right? Oh, first the time homes. First, for the first, first yeah. time home buyer's plan. <laughs> but uh, anyways, the RSP, like, it used to be they were the only real thing, the only way to sort of defer some income. And that's what you have to think about too, yes. is it's a me mechanism to defer your income from today's higher earning years when you would otherwise be taxed at one of those higher marginal rates, 36%, 40, 48, whatever, uh, to a later year when you're retired and then you can draw your money out at a lower tax rate. The real permanent tax savings of an RRSP is that you're putting the money in, let's say you put the money in at 36%, you get 36 cents back on the dollar for what you put in. It grows tax deferred. Then you take it out and you're taxed on it. But when you're taxed, you could be taxed at 25 or 30.5, whatever the future tax rate is. That's the perfect mm -hmm. scenario where the tax your tax rate is lower in retirement. So you basically push that money from high income tax rate to low income tax rate. The reverse can happen too. And you know, back in the day, there was you know young people were. We're, we're sort of uh, urged by the banks, start an RSP, start saving for retirement. And even if they were in the lowest tax bracket, they were putting money into the RSP, mm -hmm. um, they probably will still benefit over the long term, A, from the tax deferral, B, from just having some extra savings for their mm -hmm. retirement. That's also important. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna live mm -hmm. off of CPP and OAS. Um, but if they ended up being taxed at a higher rate, then it makes no sense relative to a TFSA. So if you're looking at choice, TFSA versus RSP, if your tax rate is the same, it's a wash. If, it's, if you expect it to be the same between retirement and now, if it's gonna be higher in retirement, potentially, then you're be much better off putting that money in a TFSA. But anyways, what, uh, the reason I bring this up is a lot of times the bank kind of stress that tax refund. Put the money in, you're getting those 36 cents in the dollar back, or if you're at the lowest tax bracket, even 25 cents. Mm -hmm. And people see that mm -hmm. that is the benefit, that is what they're getting for it. But you're gonna mm -hmm. have to give that back someday. So it's not a freebie that you're that you're just getting. And mm -hmm. and that's you know that's why an overall comprehensive financial plan is so important when it comes to your retirement planning. Not just putting money willy-nilly into an RSP, but really thinking it through long-term and then looking at those options. So I think we cool. talked enough about, t about RSPs. <laughs> for now I let's put this rsp off. season behind us and uh, and just urge, urge our listeners to uh to set up that monthly contribution plan and just get that stuff done as you go and don't stress out in january february 2024 so we had a budget uh, this uh, in this past week as well here in alberta and that's been kind of in the headlines um i'll i'll admit i was so busy at work you know working late doing these rsp contributions that I didn't get a chance, and I was paying more attention to the uh, NHL trades. I uh, didn't get much of a chance to uh, to see what the budget, what was going on with the budget. Uh, any any news there, Justin? Uh, there's certainly some news where if you care to dig into the details and, and, and see just how much, for example, uh, at least for us who live in Alberta, uh, how much we are spending as a province uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, government spending and, and government uh, programming. Mm-hmm. So on a high-level basis, yeah, um, the Alberta government came out uh, with their budget for the year, uh, with their projections, and uh, Minister Taves, Travis Taves, our uh, finance minister here in, in this province, came out with some interesting uh, some vocabulary or some uh, uh, in his um, in his delivery uh, of that budget. The the spending on the budget, the top line spending, is sixty eight billion dollars this year. 
And that's even higher. That's a higher number than even what the same government projected, like, you know, at the beginning of this year, at the end of 2022. So in a matter of a quarter of a year, we've actually we've gone up uh, another, you know, call it 4% or so approximately in, 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 in the mm -hmm. expectations of spending. And, and so why is that? You know, and, and we, we talk about, and I've talked about to my clients and I've talked to other people as well, just in terms of like, you know, we live in an energy, in a, in a province that is dominated or has a disproportionate effect or is affected by one industry. And that industry is the hydrocarbon industry, whether it's natural gas, whether it's conventional oil, uh, whether it's uh, oil sands, unconventional, right? We are uh, heavily dominated and much more so obviously than the other provinces, more than Saskatchewan, uh, more than, uh, you know, uh, well, to a certain extent, maybe Newfoundland and, and, and Labrador now, right? But it, that, this has been our history here. This has been our legacy because of the geography and the geology. Uh, this is where we're at. And when times are good for the energy industry, when oil is an elevated price, it does well for the province. It does well for the royalty revenues uh, that come in uh, uh, to the province. And, you know, you and I will talk to each other, we'll talk to clients, we'll talk to others about, you know, the, the benefits, the, the long-term benefits of a, of a financial plan, of having a fiscal plan in place, to have a budget in place. And the one thing that I, I guess that gets to me in, in a certain extent is that your budget, my budget, you know, or my spending, my income is, is, a, is a lot more static than um, the provinces, right? Mm -hmm. If you are fully employed, uh, or have any sort of employment, regular employment, it's gonna. You have a pretty good understanding what your payroll is going to be, what your what's going to come into your bank account every two weeks or every month. And whereas for the provincial government, they can make projections, and we all have tried to make these projections in the past. But their income is highly volatile. Um, our our income is highly volatile uh, as as provincial residents. Uh, based the, the off province of, is kind of like a commissioned employee. You know, it's feast in, in or famine. You no, know, you got you got it the is. really good sales months or whatever sales yeah. year, and you, you're making a ton of money like this year, and then 2020, sure obviously those. things were not going so well for the province. Negative yeah, when, oil, when that, ten billion dollar deficits. You remember negative oil? Yes, it wasn't yeah. that long ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. And and so when times are good, yes, um, they're really good. You know, you know, talking about that point, it's actually funny because <laughs> you know we've probably all talked about this bumper sticker again that shows has shown up this uh in alberta and and i will use the language because i think you know we're, we're okay on this podcast but the sticker that you know would say that please lord give us one more oil boom i promise not to piss it away right and so what the what the prop what the minister did this time was that he actually used that same uh slogan uh, uh or um uh line in his speech but he kind of used some uh, a more politically correct word i guess right uh, but, but what he said was I promise not to squander it this time. <laughs> and it's interesting that he brought that up, but because it, it, there's also almost an implicit, you know, recognition that the province has pissed away energy uh, expense, energy royalties or spending in the past, and or maybe even continue to, to doing so. So, what is the province doing in order to alleviate, to offset, to get away a little bit from this admittedly roller coaster uh, ride? Right? Because again, we are going to be we have been always dependent on energy, uh, on the energy economy, uh, on royalties uh, that come in from, from those resources. And even more so in the future, I think that we're gonna be even more dependent or more reliant on it. So it, you know, he, he, he said, I'll use it one more line. The, te the tendency to unsustainably, unsustainably increase spending as revenues rise is almost inevitable. Of course, 
when you get more money coming in, the, everybody starts asking for money, right? You win the lottery, yep. guess what? That, that second cousin of yours is gonna start <laughs> calling you and asking you to help you fund bankroll his, his business idea, right? Yep. Same question, yep. right? Um, the civil servants will look for more, industry will look for more, the cities, the municipal cities uh, and the governments will look for more, we will all look for more because there's more money coming in. So what are we gonna be doing about this in the future? I don't know, because we are, I think, structurally in a higher royalty revenue world, admittedly. So in a previous mm -hmm. lifetime, or not that long ago, but in a previous world, I my last job at, at Suncor Energy, I was, I was one of the royalty analysts. I was the oil, one of the oil sands royalty analysts. I helped figure out how much we paid the crown every single month in royalties. And in some years, that check was huge. It mm -hmm. was a really, really big number, right? In other years, it was a very small number for a government. You're talking about seven-figure digit numbers to like, you know, nine-digit, nine-figure type checks monthly, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the difference was amazing. So, why? What's the structural change? And I won't go at least into today. We should uh, do like an entire episode. I didn't even know that was your background. Yeah. Uh, I knew you were at Suncor, oh, yeah. but yeah. that is a very interesting topic where I'd like to learn more about about royalties and 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 that. But anyways, go yeah, ahead. There was one time. Yeah, I know absolutely, and it, it's a fascinating conversation. And even though you know, have to get to the numbers. This directly affects the income of you know, uh, or the well-being uh, of you and I as residents of this province, yeah. right? You surely will want to know what your pay stub is. Right? Don't forget, that's our oil. That's our oil. It's not Suncor's oil. They're they're just getting paid to take it out of the ground. <laughs> they are so getting they're paid paying to the take province it out of the ground. Yeah, and all the other operators as well, right? Yep. So, uh, you know, there's terms called like GRR or gross revenue royalties. And then there's NR, like net, ro uh, net revenue uh, royalties. And then there's pre-payout and post-payout. But in short, what I will say to you today is that a lot of these oil um, oil sands projects are now in post payout, mm -hmm. meaning that all the tax benefits that they had in previous years or in previous decades, they were able to write off all their capital mm -hmm. costs basically against the royalties because they wanted to incentivize people to build these massive multi-billion dollar plants and then run them, right? Now they've paid them all off mm -hmm. right, over time. It might have might have taken 10 years, it might have taken 30 years. But the point is, a lot of them now, conveniently enough, are starting to get into post payout. They've written off all they can write off. Now they're paying the full royalty amount. And so in last year, 2020, 2021 fiscal tax year for the uh, for the province, the province brought in $2 billion in royalties from oil sands. I'm only focusing on oil sands right now. Right, natural gas has had their day in the sun. They they get their mm -hmm. ups and down the years too, right? So the dollar the amounts, bucks. yeah. Like we're not just yeah. talking about going back to 2014 dollar amounts because in 2014 they were no. still doing a lot of write-offs. These are these they are were. massive dollar amounts, like we've never seen before yeah. from oil sands. So yeah, this year we're getting close to 12 billion dollars in oil sand royalties. The mm -hmm. last time we had a number anywhere, you know, like 2014, back, you know, the, the before the, like the last crash or the last oil cycle, the downturn had occurred. Uh, conveniently, that's also when I got let go from, from that industry, mm -hmm. right? But like mm -hmm. 2000, 2013, 2014, they were about $5 billion a year total. Mm -hmm. And then 2015, 2016, it dropped down to one, right? Yep. Now we went, it dropped $4 billion. Then it was at 1 billion, 1 billion, 2 billion, kind of around there up and down for only, you know, for six years. And then all of a sudden we go from $2 billion last year to 11 or $12 billion this year. That's a massive amount. And the thing is, is that going forward next year, almost irrespective to the price of oil, right? We're not gonna get $1 billion in royalties anymore from the from oil sense. We are still gonna get 
five, probably six, seven billion dollars a year. This is a structural mm-hmm. change now because those projects have been paid out, right? Whether the oil's at seventy dollars, ninety dollars, we're going to be getting a lot more revenue, right? So with all that new revenue, you know, we talk about lifestyle creep, right? You know, we we try to avoid lifestyle creep <laughs> in our own personal lives. And right? our province now, has gone sudden, through that, yeah. Structurally, the province is now getting oh. billions of dollars or more every single year without really any change. Right? Think, so think back to spend, are they the, spending more? And think back to the last boom in the two thousands. You know, prior to two thousand seven, I think it was, all of us Albertans had to pay a fee for our Alberta health care, like a user fee. The premiums. And the lifestyle creep was that just because we were making so much money, Ralph Klein back then said, okay, we're just going to get rid of that fee because we were making tons of money. And so that was just taken away. And it's never going to come back because no no government's going to say, okay, you're now paying for this again. That would be very unpopular. That's not going to win an election, especially in a couple months. Um, So, so yeah, that's kind of a lifestyle creep for the province. And then, you know, it comes to various other entitlements and things like that. Uh, It's, it's easy to add them. It's very difficult to take them away. So yeah, I mean, let's sure hope that so oil prices stay it's up. Tough. It doesn't even have to stay go up to a hundred dollars again. Like the no. point is, is that no. even like half a half a decade ago, or even a decade ago, we are producing far more barrels of oil out of the oil sands now. Combine that with relatively higher prices, mm-hmm. and then combine that with a higher royalty rate. Like take for instance, like the, that that gross GRR, that gross royalty rate that I mentioned before, they were paying as low as one percent on their revenue. Right now, uh, one to nine percent—that was the range. But it could have been as low as one percent on gross r- uh, revenue. Now, if you're in post payout and you've paid off all your capital costs, and it's just the wall of cash flow, as as some companies would say, starts coming in. Right now, you're going anywhere from like twenty-five to forty percent tax rate or royalty rate, I should say, on your net rev- royalties. This is a structural change. You're going from mm-hmm. somewhere single low single digit uh, royalty rate on gross royalties to double digit rates on net royalties. And so it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. So I talked about like last year to this year, the difference in royalty payments from oil sands is in the tune of about ten billion dollars. Right? Mm-hmm. Take a guess what the budget surplus is. We're making ten billion dollars more in royalty revenues from last year to this year. What, what's our what's our what's surplus, our surplus? Yeah, here? it should be ten billion, but I know it's only like two billion because we already spent it's the other two. eight. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's only, <laughs> only two. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, other provinces are still jealous of that, right? But well, you know, at the same time, that, BC filed and they they filed or they did yeah. their um, their budget and they were like what four billion dollar deficit or something or two billion. Yeah. So it, which it, makes it, us it, look it's good. Talking. So these numbers each, but to your point, like. We're talking about an eight billion dollar swing in one year in spending, because mm-hmm. and and if it wasn't for you know elevated prices, post payout, all of this, right, more production, right, we mm-hmm. quite frankly could be almost zero, like flat, you know, on our on our on our budget, no no surplus, or you know, for if God forbid or whatever the case may be, prices were to go down or some something catastrophic were to happen with on the operating side. Um, let's not talk about Imperial oil news this year, this week, right? But, um, you know, let's say something got shut down for a pretty long period of time. That's barrels that are coming off of production and that's royalty money that you're never getting back. Mm-hmm. You'll get it sometime in the future, but you're not getting for, for this year. So a $10 billion increase, uh, royalties year over year, but only a $2 billion surplus. Um, it just doesn't like, if you are you know, it doesn't, it, I feel like we should have had more, obviously more more surplus i feel like we could have paid down the debt a little bit more but oh, yeah, in how that much? Sense, i feel i yeah i feel like the creep is happening it's happened 
Well, and how much debt it do we happening. still have? We still have, I mean, we must have a massive amount, somewhere in the tens of billions still in debt, right? Lot, yes. And, and those and, interest and so rates are going up. They are going up. They are going up. I so, mean, the government, this is the one argument though, the province can still borrow much cheaper than you and I can. They're not mm -hmm. getting, you know, the uh, they're not getting the uh, the, the prime rates that the the banks charges us. They're getting lower, right? Because well, and even four percent is still pretty decent. Yeah, but it's yeah. four is more than two. To your point, yeah. four is more than 0.5. This is the uh, thing that's always always angered me about the way the province does their finances, going way back even to the Ralph Klein days. Is just this 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 willingness to spend all these surpluses, never save. Again, think of the province like a commission-based employee who's got a has had a really good year. They should be mm -hmm. putting money into their retirement plans, really. And the retirement plan for the province is the fact that oil is not going to always be the main source of energy, and maybe it will for you know many decades to go to come, but not forever. Uh, we have a savings plan, the Heritage Savings Trust. Uh, which uh, which was started in the nineteen was the nineteen seventies, and at that time the idea was put those surpluses aside into this plan, let it compound, let it grow, so that eventually we have this big sovereign fund, just like Norway has, and Norway started, example. and they started yep. theirs after we did, by the way, um, but let's have something like that, so that when the day comes when we don't have this re revenue, like think right now, sixty eight billion dollar budget. And twelve billion of that's coming from royalties. What if that twelve billion slips off? Are we going to just run twelve billion dollar deficits, or do we get rid of entitlements again? Which is again hard to do. But all these years, we 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 always spend the surpluses like this, these these one time non systematic surpluses, and then at the same time, we're not we're not not saving in the plan. We're also taking the revenue out of the savings plan, the the Heritage Savings Trust. We're we're using yes. that revenue. It goes to general revenue. We're not compounding it. Which is just, that's right. it's so irresponsible. And it always has me. It doesn't matter what government's <laughs> in power. It's always been that way. And as yeah. a financial planner, it just makes yeah. me want to pull my hair out. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going on a rant you know, and we're coming up on an hour well, yeah, here. So maybe know, that's yeah, another doing episode. A financial plan, doing a financial plan for a, a, a government, federal, mm -hmm. provincial, municipal, is a bit different than, than an in individual, right? Granted. But the concept, I think, jars a lot yeah. of people, right? Is that essentially you want to live within your means, right? And also plan for the future. The retirement, yep. you know, the Heritage Savings Trust Fund or the retirement fund, of all, you know, for the future, right? It's supposed to be for future generations because at some point, the benefits of what we have right now through the, the, the resource extraction should be there in place for future generations. You know, my children, your niece and nephew, exactly. their children, so on and so forth, right? And initially, back in the 70s, Lougheed, when he brought it up, Peter Lougheed, the premier at the time, it was about 30% of, of uh, resource revenues were going into the heritage. Fund. That's how it should be. And then, and then it, you know, government started saying, oh, that's a pot of money I want to start taking out of, <laughs> I want to start utilizing, right? And so right now, the heritage fund, they're going to put in a couple billion dollars into it this year, right? So they figure, you know, like the balance, the value of the heritage fund right now is probably about $19 billion. Uh, considering Just you know, the... Well, yeah, we're talking about 50 years of since the thing was started, right? Yep. And we're, quote unquote, only at $19 billion. Now, if they did nothing, years, if they simply allowed the revenue to compound in that thing, it'll be over, it would be over $100 billion. And that's a legacy, right? That's a legacy mm -hmm. for the future. You know, we talk about legacies for ourselves and our children, our great grand, our grandchildren too. This is, that would have been, a, that would be a legacy, right? Um, so here's, you've here's got grinded years. You've got a point, you know, the, yeah. the finances of a province or a government are not the same as a personal. And, you know, that's something that, you know, often, uh, you know, fiscal 
fiscally conservative people like me are, are you know, we, we want our government to be more conservative, but then on the opposite side of, of things, people argue that governments have that ability to borrow, spend. It's part of the overall, you know, I mean, the economy works yeah. that way, right? I mean, there has yeah. to, there's, there's bonds. I mean, there wouldn't be a bond market if, if governments were always, uh, you know, fiscally prudent. But we're a special case, Alberta. That's what I think. We're not, um, you know, I mean, if I was thinking of uh, British Columbia, for them, I mean, they have the resources too, but trees keep growing, you know, and, and whatever else they have. They, their, their future at least looks more steady, I guess, less volatile in terms of future revenues, whereas ours mm-hmm. is so dependent on mm-hmm. this thing, which just because of the technology of today is very, very precious, oil mm-hmm. and natural mm-hmm. gas, um, it won't always be. And now I always, you know, and people say, oh yeah, we're going to need oil anyways, blah, blah, blah. But what about, like, think about coal. There was a time when the coal-producing regions of the world, many years ago, the coal-producing regions of the world were the wealthy regions because coal yep. was so important for steam engines and power and everything. And today, these are the poor, yeah. well, today, these are the poorest regions of the world because, I mean, coal has become so commoditized, it's really not worth that much, and there's better forms of energy. Um, do we want to be that in the future? Do we want to be that, you know, in 50 years oil becomes that oil will still be used but it's just going to be one of those energy sources that will be worth hardly anything because there'll be fusion and all sorts of other things that we'll be using at that time um mm-hmm. at that time we need to have this money saved up that we can draw from to basically pay for those entitlements that have been created today that we can't get rid of other sources of revenue revenue you know less spending there's lots of ways to help address that uh, you know, we, <laughs> the, 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 the sales tax, the, the death, no one ever promises that, but these are things <laughs> that the uh, provincial sales tax or these are things that people or or, you know, slowing down spending. These are things that the future governments, current governments, election coming up, you know, potential new governments or, or you know, we'll have to start actually having a platform or having to speak about this. Right. Because we're just we've been pushing it ourselves for years and years and now it's been decades. And uh, I mean, what wasn't done a few decades ago, maybe may as well be started this year or next year or sooner than later, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked about another province. Um, one I will bring up as an example, because it's a little bit of thing of, of an education to me as well. Uh, but Quebec, La Belle Provence, right? They have a generations fund. Are you familiar with this generations fund that they have there? So you're telling me that Quebec with our transfer payments <laughs> are building up a generations <laughs> no, I- fund? <laughs> No, so no, I've not heard of it. Yeah, so back in, in 2006, okay, 2006, we're not talking about 1970, we're going to talk about 2006. They started what they call a generations fund. And how they fund this fund is that they take a portion of the hydroelectric power that they generate mm-hmm. or the money that comes from Hydro Quebec and they and also some money that comes in from uh, alcohol tax, right? And if you buy uh, liquor from the SA SAC over there, right, part of that goes into this generations fund. So this thing's been around for less than two decades. And by the end of this year, 2023, that generations fund is going to be larger than the Alberta Heritage uh, wow. Trust Fund. Yeah. And, and and so like what they've done, I mean, yes, there's moving parts, right? There's debate as to the what it's actually used for, you know, undoubtedly what they're actually doing rather than paying down their own massive provincial debt, they're socking away into this account and they're hoping that the returns in the generations fund are going to be greater than um, paying off the debt, the interest rate on the debt. This mm-hmm. is the classic, can I borrow to invest? Are they at least deducting the interest? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they are. So, they are. I mean, um, as a corporation, they yeah. can deduct the interest anyway. So, <laughs> so, so they're, no Smith maneuver required. No, not at all. But it's working for them. 
Yeah. Uh, but what they've done is they've prescribed it and they've said that, you know what, no, we are getting revenue from our hydropower despite this this energy source or this resource that we have, you, you know, to some extent, a significant, they have a very significant amount of it over there. And when we're, we're gonna sock it away because we're gonna put it into this one fund and, and then take the benefit out of that. And again, well, and, within and two decades, very... They've got They're very smart, the Quebecers. They know that a lot of their government revenues come from transfer payments, which are funded by Alberta's strong oil economy, and that won't be around forever for them. So it's good of them. They're planning ahead for, you know, they're planning better than we are, really. <laughs> so point is, is that, you know, irrespective of how the funds are flowing, is that they have this unique asset that they are allocating um, sort of variable income Right, and they're socking it away for for future use and for future, mm -hmm. future benefits. And I, I think that's something early on. Well, we'll, we'll be talking about the election again uh, as it gets closer and as policy and, and platforms start coming out and become a little bit more uh, concrete. But these are, I think, things that you and I and, and other listeners, particularly, I mean, those who are in Alberta, should take into consideration when you are deciding on, on, on votes or deciding on how you spend your money or for that matter, how you invest your money, right? And this is mm -hmm. why I talk about diversification holistically, big picture, not just what's in your own investment account, what's not in your savings plan, but also where you live, what you do, the province or the government that you're in, right? And you, you've heard about the story about people leaving California to move to friendlier places like Austin, Texas or Miami, right? And to a certain extent, there's always been interprovincial migration that happens in Canada, right? But these are things that people will take into consideration for their larger mm -hmm. financial picture. So in the case, and you know, I'll, I'll toot my own horn, I'm, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, sing my own my song in the sense that this is kind of the reason why you really, in my viewpoint, want to shy away or try to minimize the amount of additional energy commodity exposure you have, because every single year we see it in our province of spending. We as see Albertans, yeah. No, yep. As Albertans, as Albertans, thank you. And instead, um, it ends up being the tax rate. Yeah. Well, instead, it ends up being the opposite. That first of all, Albertans generally have higher allocations to energy stocks. And if they live in yep. Calgary, even more so. And if they work in the oil industry, even more so, which is even just crazy so. because so. you're just adding risk, risk, yeah, risk. It and yeah. it's, no, it's, it's the same everywhere. It's about what you're familiar with. Uh, someone did the study of in the course. States, too, and they looked at oh, what do Americans everything. in different areas invest in. And people in the Northeast <laughs> have a lot of financials. People in the yeah. Midwest have a lot of industrials. Down in Texas, yeah. a lot of energy. In California, energy. a lot of tech. Tech, yeah. Um, but that's, Undoubtedly. And it's because that's what we know or that's the industry you work in, but it should not affect you at all. Or you should actually, it makes sense for an Albertan to not even have any energy exposure because your real estate's exposed to energy. You're really your well-being, the well-being of your government and, and ultimately you is based on the energy prices. So right now, you and, the I don't have, yeah, you and I don't have a provincial sales tax because of energy. That's right? great, yeah. I mean, there's ways, right? So well, I was gonna say, right now the economy's not that great globally, and uh, stocks are down across the board in other areas. But we're doing well here in Alberta because of energy. So we are. you'd want to be that person with the the well diversified portfolio. Who, yes, your portfolio's down right now, but everything else is going great for you. Your house value is probably up a bit. Versus well, better than 20, maybe better than 20, some other provinces, yeah. One versus 2020 when everything was going really poorly in Alberta because of negative oil prices and whatnot. But then your portfolio was doing really well. It kind of balances out, right? That's diversifying. That's right. That's right. So 
Um, not to get into the whole diversification comment, but the point is, I, I was fascinated to see just the sheer amount. And we are in a structural, I, I do believe that we are in a structural uh, uh, change in terms of the uh, resource revenue that's going to be coming in uh, to this province. And I, I think it's incumbent on, on us as, as, as citizens or, or residents of this province uh, to kind of get an idea, to kind of take a look and to understand that, wow, we are actually getting far more royalties now uh, than we did in prior years. It'll likely be that way for uh, for the indefinite future, irrespective of the price of WTI or WCS, right? So how do we steward that? How do we use it, right? And um, But yes, we are spending far more than we ever did before. And that lifestyle creep that we, you and I you know, talk about uh, in our one-on-one conversations with others um, is happening around us. And just what, hopefully just make people a little bit more cognizant of that situation here. And, and not only the rewards and potential, but the risks, inevitable risks that come with that. So, um, but yes, one time um, we'll, I, I'd be more than happy to talk about royalty regimes and how they change and, and just uh, the impact that it's had uh, um, mm-hmm. within industry and, and also uh, within this province. But yes, that, that's my little, uh, my little soapbox on royalties. <laughs> for All today. right. That's very interesting again, Justin. Um, we'll probably have to talk about that some more down the line, maybe closer yep. to election time. I'm noticing it's <laughs> March already, so uh, I think, what are we, we're less than two months away? I mean, the Ritz got to drop May, in the I next couple of weeks, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, let's let's call that the episode for, uh, for now, and uh, we'll reconvene next week on Zoom, and uh, we'll go from there. We'll probably have some more developments, both in... Uh, in uh, the politics side of things and we'll know how the Oilers are doing too with uh, their new lineup and uh, a couple of tough teams coming up next week again so hopefully we beat Boston next time around <laughs> uh, yeah back to back with uh, the Jets I mean the, yeah. the Flames uh, got the back end you know, of the uh, uh, against the Bruins and, and the Bruins came out uh, swimmingly uh, in, in their uh, Alberta <laughs> uh, their Alberta road trip you at least got the points so, uh, they, they, yeah, the Flames did get the over uh, the uh, the points. So, um, yes, there'll be more updates on that. So, have a great weekend. All right, take care. Any views discussed in this podcast are those of the presenters or any guests, and not necessarily those of Canaccord Genuity Corp. Statements expressed herein are not intended to provide tax, legal, or financial advice and under no circumstances should be construed as a solicitation to act as a securities broker or dealer in any jurisdiction. All views expressed are intended for general circulation only and do not have any regard to the specific investment objectives, financial circumstances, or general need of any individual organization or institution. Investing in equities is not guaranteed, values change frequently, and past performance is not an indicator of future performance. Investors cannot invest directly in an index. Index returns do not reflect fees, expenses, or sales charges. Please do not hesitate to contact us should you want to know more about anything discussed in this podcast. CG Wealth Management is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp., member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investor Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.